This is the anthem. Here's what you came for. This is the moment magic was made for. Hello there. Welcome back to Fanfatals. Take a ride with us on the Hogwarts Express. Walk down Main Street with our best super pals. And defy gravity as we talk about all things fandom. Welcome back to Fan Fatales, a member of the Real Fans Podcast Network. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And this week is Gabby's birthday. Happy birthday! Thank you. Well, it was actually last Saturday, yes. but thank you. Um, which means, guys, Gabby and I are officially back from our vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited to go on it, because it's... In the future, it's for before, us. yeah. Uh, so Gabby, we're in the future past. Yeah, it's in the future past. So Gabby, what are we going to be doing for your very special birthday episode? So, there is a little side to me that I have alluded to every now and then, but I don't let out often, and it is the fact that I am a huge history nerd. I am a huge history nerd. I love history. I love World War II. I love just, uh, I just love, I love history. I love especially war history for some reason. I don't know why. I just love history. So yeah. we're going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite subjects, which is the history of fashion and style. And I know this isn't super fan to me, but it's my birthday and I get to choose. Yeah. Um, also, this might be helpful for, like, costumes and or cosplay. Yeah. Um, so because the history of fashion is very large and expansive, it very deeply hurts me not to get to talk about um, the beautiful eras of Regency and the romantic eras of the 1800s. But for time's sake, we need to start in the 20th century. Like, yeah. If I could, this would be, like, a five-hour episode in which we go all the way back to, like, ancient greece like i could talk about this for hours we could just I keep going went... back in time yeah just keep going further back yeah but um i almost went to school for fashion design i was um probably like two or three major decisions away from deciding to go to school from for costume design i went and toured um the fashion institute of marketing and design um, in Los Angeles. It is a beautiful school. If you're interested in this field at all, I highly recommend it. It's gorgeous. Um, they have campuses in LA, San Diego, New York, Chicago, I think. There's a bunch of campuses everywhere. It's a great school, wonderful school, great program. Um, but the San Diego campus didn't offer costume design, and that's what I was really thinking about going yeah. to school for. And that's kind of where this passion lied that's what I did with it and I never really did anything else because I didn't really have the grades to go to fashion school I didn't really have I don't know the drive yeah 
I, I, I just decided I wanted to do something else with my life, which now I do this for funsies. So it's okay. True. So here we go. We're going to get into it because this is going to be long and it's going to be a lot of just me. Uh, I can butt in. Emma's going to interject here and there, but it's going to be a lot of me I talking. Mean, so throwback to like the two and a half hour of me just talking Narnia. Narnia. Yeah. For my birthday. So, yeah, it's it's justified, I think. Okay, so we're going to start off in 1910. So, in 1910, the fashion was very much like the decade. Or Sorry. Fashion in 1910, very much like the decade itself, can be divided into two different periods. Before the war and during the war. World War I had a very profound effect on society and culture as a whole, and um, fashion was really no exception. While changes in women's fashion that manifested in the 1920s are often attributed to the changes from World War I, um, many of the popular styles of the 20s actually evolved from the styles popular before the war as early as the beginning of the decade. So in 1914, the world was thrown into the, quote, war to end all wars, <laughs> which which in that case, I mean, like, give it, give it like 20 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give it, give it 30 years. Um, at that time, uh, tunics were really worn over skirts and it was a lot of very long, boxy looking styles. Yeah. There was no shape, nothing figure forming, right? Everything was very square. Um, women also began to wear uniforms, including some of the earliest times that we see women wearing overalls and trousers, actually. Um, and they were working in munitions factories for the war efforts, not only in the United States, but also in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so then after the war ended, simple styles continued, like the barrel cigarette uh, silhouette, like I was just explaining, right? Very boxy, very yeah. straight, narrow, nothing figure flattering, or nothing figure conforming. Um, and fashion historian James Laver writes in Costume and Fashion, A Concise History, um, that the effect was completely tubular. Skirts were still long, but in an attempt to make, sorry, but an attempt was made to confine the body in a cylinder. This would eventually develop into the popular flapper style of the upcoming decade. Yes. So at the dawn of the 1920s, the world was still reeling from the First World War. The conflict, which had ended just over a year before the new decade began, had a fundamental and irreversible effect on society, culture, and fashion. Essential to these new styles was a simplicity that had not previously been seen in women's fashion. This simplicity created the popular tubular la... Ooh, I'm going to butcher this, and it's French, and there's a lot of French, and I butcher it a lot, but it's la garçon, that look that dominated much of the decade, also known as the flapper. This look was very typified. Um, uh, this typified the 1920s, right? It had the dropped waist, yeah. creeping headlines that were very economical in saving fabric, and a lot of of trims became very popular. Yes. Long trim to make up for short hemlines. Um, the designer Coco Chanel really helped to popularize the style and was a prominent designer during the period. Another trend for women that enjoyed massive popularity in the 20s was that of sportswear worn as daywear. Sportswear had been an acceptable form of casual wear for men, but in the 20s it also 
started to become acceptable for women. We see throughout the decades as it becomes more popular until we get to the 80s where it's like sportswear craze. Yeah. You know? Um, but the popularity of sports clothes in the 1920s is often attributed, like many of the most popular styles of the 20s, to Coco Chanel. Um, but designers such as Jane Regney and Jean Pateau, I hope I said that right, also contributed to the sportswear trend. Pateau's yellow skirt and sweater set set how much, sorry, set show how much tennis clothes influence design. Um, fashions in the, fashion in the 1920s was also about the whole look, and there were trends in how the body itself was fashioned. The simple lines and androgynous shapes of fashion looked best on bodies free from curves. Through exercise, diet, and various shaping undergarments, women attempted to achieve this look. Many women cut their hair into a bob, which is a very popular hairstyle that emerged early in the decade, and hairstyles kept, kept getting shorter, but... Like hemlines, as the decade drew to a close, women were starting to grow their hair long again. And the cloche hat became an extremely popular accessory that looked best with these short hairstyles. So if you, like, picture, like, a 1920s woman, she's got that kind yeah. of hat that, like, comes down over the sides. Yeah. You know? I know. You know exactly what I'm talking yes. about, right? You can see it. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that was super popular. And Why do you I keep on in a lot of, of like, media. singing in the rain? Close, not quite. Okay, I know it takes place around the same time. Yeah, it's close. Okay. Um, another, there's a really good series on Netflix. It's a Spanish soap opera called Ch- uh, Cable Girls. Okay. That's the English name. It's called Cable Girls. Um, it's dubbed in English. It's really good. Okay. It's a beautiful demonstration of the variety and fashion of the 1920s up until um, to the mid to late 30s during the um, Spanish Revolution. It's amazing. Watch it. I highly recommend it. The last season, I like bawled my eyes out. It's amazing. <laughs> you love the characters. They're great. <laughs> um, so some of the fashion icons of the time, this is something we're going to do. We're going to talk about a few people that were like the fashion icons of the time yes. because I think it's a great way to, you know, if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just Google some of these people and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, so we have Norma Schreier, Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford comes back quite a few times, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Clara Bow, Louise Brooks, Marie Provost, Marlene Dietrich. Gloria Swanson, and Colleen Moore. Some other fashion icons included Zelda Fitzgerald, who was um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's yes, wife. Yes, that's what I thought when I saw the last name. Uh-huh. Josephine Baker, and other celebrities and members of royalty. Also, so, Clara Bow. Why, why is the only thing I can think of um, the opening of Bonnie and Clyde? Bonnie and Clyde. Like, yeah. Clara Bow. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, because because Bonnie and Clyde takes place in what the 1930s. Maybe. I'm pretty sure it was the 30s. Bonnie and Clyde. They died in 34. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the 30s. Um. So as the 20s turned into the 30s, women fas- women's fashion softly evolved from the boyish look of the previous decade into the feminine silhouette of the early 30s. 
With the stock market crash in 1929 and with the opening of the new decade, hemlines descended back to ankle length and waistlines moved back to their natural place. While evening wear became dominated by the body-skimming silhouette, day wear returned to romanticism and femininity. J-dresses came in a variety of patterns, floral, plaid, dots, and this kind of started to introduce a few more abstract prints. Yeah. Um, smart suits were very popular with crisp lines and sculptural defined shoulders. The exaggerated shoulder on suits or dresses was a hallmark of the 1930s fashion and was created through tons of padding, layers of fabric, and other embellishments. And, you know, this is like a type of style that people think, oh, yeah, that was the 80s. No, honey, it started in the 30s. They borrowed it from them. Just like today with people borrowing like 90s looks. And Y2K. And I'm Y2K, like, Why? yeah. Why? We don't need, we don't need, we don't need juicy couture suits. No. We don't need those ugly yoga pants. No. No. Um, increasingly, women looked to movie stars for fashion inspiration during this period as Hollywood disseminated fashion to the masses and stars like Greta Garbo, Marlene Dietrich, and Bette Davis, amongst others, became some of the first Hollywood-style icons. Many women all over the world attempted to emulate their styles, making this a little easier was the rise in makeup and the beauty industry, allowing women to copy their favorite stars at a small cost. By the end of the decade, Europe had entered into the Second World War and the U.S. still had not left the Great Depression behind. As the 30s closed, the popular style of broad padded shoulders, nipped in waist, and shorter A-line skirts that would dominate the early 40s had already emerged. So, as I had mentioned before, some style icons of the time were Jean Harlow and Greta Garbo, and here we go again! Joan Crawford! Crawford. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. We haven't seen the last of Joan. Okay. Um, by the dawn of the 1940s france had been long been established as the center of women's fashion design however just six months into 1940 german forces occupied france and paris an occupation that would last until late 1944 while some designers left paris at the start of the occupation many stayed and continued to design outside of france fashion during the war was dominated by rationing Utility clothing and uniforms were the most ubiquitous forms of quote-unquote fashion during the war. Utility clothing would be bought with ration coupons. I don't know why I'm like stuttering so much. I like wrote all of this. (laughs) The silhouette of this era saw shorter hemlines and much more form-fitting bodices. Jumpsuits and workwear were also extremely popular during this era as women went to join the workforce on the home front because all of the men were off in the war. Yeah. So some of the fashion icons of this time were Ava Gardner, Bette Davis, again, Rita Hayworth, Grace Kelly, um, Ingrid Bergman, Catherine Hepburn, and Doris Day. Also Joan Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Um. However, the smart simplicity of utility clothing quickly lost its appeal with the launch in February of 1947 of Dior's defining post-war style, dubbed, quote, the new look. Officially named Corel, the Corel line, the new work, the new look was characterized by rounded shoulders, a super cinched in waist, and a significantly long, full 
huge skirt. Yes. <laughs> with lots and lots and lots of pleats. Which was almost a status symbol after the war because during the war, fabric had to be rationed. They True. needed silk. They needed cotton. They needed these things to make the uniforms for the military, to make parachutes, to make the things that they needed. And so fabric was, you got what you got, and that was kind of it. And you had to make the most out of what you had. So giant egregious skirts just weren't feasible for a family of four, right? For one mother, three kids, husbands out in the war. Yeah. You need one yard of fabric to make as many clothes as you can. Jeez. Yeah. So it was it was a totally different time. Just going through after. like um making the curtains into dresses and play clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like if you think about like you know in Gypsy when like she takes the curtains and she makes it into three coats. I was thinking of Santa Music with the play clothes. That too. <laughs> Giselle from Enchanted. Giselle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She stole it from Julie um, Andrews. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, it was a, it was a reality, you yeah. know, you couldn't go to the store to buy clothes yeah. because the manufacturers had to be using the majority of their fabric for the war. I mean, yes, there was stuff you could buy. I mean, there wasn't, no. yeah. but you know, it took ration coupons and it took a lot of money yeah. and that was something that was not really plentiful in that time. So then we get into the 50s, which was the ultimate era of, like, indulgence and, like, celebration. Yes. Like, the fifth, for whatever you didn't have in the 40s, the 50s were, like, they made up for it. Yeah. Because fashion, you know, it's rarely contained neatly in one decade. And the popular look that had dominated menswear, sorry, women's wear in the 50s actually emerged, like I said, in the late 40s. So when Christian Dior's new look first appeared in February of 1970, sorry, 47, it was an instant success. And this nipped in at the waist, full skirt silhouette became a leading style well into the 50s, into the mid 50s. And as the decade progressed, the dominant silhouette became progressively straighter and slimmer. And as fashion began to look to the new teenagers for inspiration, the elegance and formality of the early part of the decade began to lessen and become more casual. Yeah. So as the 50s began, the initial resistance to the extravagance of the new look had died down, and the silhouette was entrenched both in women's day wear and evening wear. Christian Dior himself continued to produce designs that followed the feminine line while incorporating new elements, and this shape remained popular until at least 1954. So while designers such as Dior, Balenciaga, and Charles James created beautiful couture pieces, the craze for sportswear continued. Um, Claire McCardell, the American designer who rose to prominence in the 40s, continued pr- to produce her popular wrap-over dresses and also introduced pedal pushers with matching tops. Okay, I'll be honest, my grandma still wears pedal pushers all the time. What are they? Like, okay, how do you describe this? So pedal pushers are like capris. Okay. Like Wait, pants so like I'm thinking like Maisel. They're like the yes. pants that she wears. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Exactly. Miss Maisel pants that she wears. Pedal pushers. Yes. They come to like mid shin, mid calf. You know, they're just long enough to keep everything covered, but short enough that you could still, you know, go for a walk or take like ride a bike, you know. So perhaps one of the most enduring images of everyday fashion in the 50s was the poodle skirt, um, which was credited to Julie Lynn Charlotte from California. Um, These simple felt skirts were cut in a circle and could have any sort of embellishment, not just a poodle. And they were paired with tight-knitted twin sets. While much more casual than the hot couture coming out of Paris, these skirts still follow the line of the new look with a defined waist and full skirt. However, no matter what time of day throughout the decade, it was exceedingly important that a woman be impeccably turned out. This meant perfectly groomed hair, spotless makeup, and sets of matching accessories. Wow. Um, fashion, historia, fashion historian Gr- Gerda Bobom writes in Icons of Fashion of the 20th Century, quote, The long years of deprivation during World War II brought forth a yearning for luxury and fashionable things. And a woman made a special effort to dress appropriately for every occasion. It was considered imperative that one's accessories matched perfectly. Um, I know, I know a lot of people think that the 50s were very degrading on women and that they think that it was, um, I don't know, that women were seen as lesser than. But I kind of disagree with that because if you think about it, a home couldn't function without a woman there. True. And after everything that they had been through in the 40s, they were like anything that they could do that they thought thought was luxurious or that they thought that made them feel good, yeah. right? They did it, you know? And so when people say, oh, yeah, my mother used to wait by the window for my dad to come home. And then when he did, she would fix her hair and throw on some lipstick and be standing there at the door waiting for him. I don't think... I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think part of it is, I mean, how many men actually made it back from the war? That's one thing you have to consider is many of the men, right, who were of age to have families. Yeah. Many of them had fought in the war and come back. Yeah. And it's a miracle that they came back. True. So I think part of it is out of just gratitude that they're even there. Yeah. And... You know, I think women had pride in having beautiful homes and that they could take the time to take care of their children and to have beautiful homes. I know people use the the word housewife and like homemaker as very derogatory terms, but I don't think that's very fair. I think that's diminishing the effect and the actual impact that these women had. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I always say that I would love one day if I could be a stay-at-home mom and I could be a homemaker like that's like my ultimate dream (laughs) like I would love that (laughs) just get to take care like take care of a home in my family like yeah I know I'm like one of few people I think who think that way but eh. as much as I want to have a career and I do look forward to that too I want to be able to have the luxury of taking care of my kids and being there like my mom was for me So that's really where it comes from. So the fashion icons of the day included the iconic Marilyn Monroe, Monroe. 
Yep. Um, Grace Kelly and Elizabeth Taylor, all whom I think are very well-known names. Yeah. There's not one one of those that I'm like, who? Yeah. Um, Also in the 1950s, there was a popularity of informality for men, which had literally never been seen before. Like, any time before this, like, men were expected to be out in public in a suit, like, always looking sharp. So, um, as young men in Britain were looking to Savile Row tailoring, the youth in America and in Europe, too, were looking towards the rebellious Hollywood stars and singers, with inspirations from Marlon Brando in A Streetcar Named Desire and popularizing the leather jacket in 1955 in The Wild One, James Dean, and Elvis Presley, promoting Jailhouse Rock in 1957. Young men in the U.S. began adopting a working-class look of jeans, a white t-shirt, and a leather jacket. Like their British counterparts, American men also adopted the greased-back, quiff hairstyle to go along with their casual look. This style was seen as a youthful rejection of their parents' generation, which earned them a rebellious and troublemaking reputation. <laughs> so, every literally all I can picture is, like, grease. Same. Literally all I can picture is John Travolta in Greece. Same. <laughs> also, really quick sidebar. How did we believe they were all in high school in that movie? They're so old. Like, Kaniki literally looks like he's 45. Like, Yes. Like, what? <laughs> we were all just like, yeah, that checks out. They're all in high school. They're only like three years younger than the teachers, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, so moving on into the 1960s um broadly categorized there were three main trends in 60s women's wear um number one was the ladylike elegance inherited from the previous decade as seen on um uh, the first lady Jacqueline kennedy um the second one was the fun youthful designs popularized by swinging london and the third is the eastern influence hippie styles of the late 60s and along with this diverse style, there came a shift in the way that women shopped and for whom the styles were created. I love this, like, motion that I got going with my hand. I feel like I'm, yeah. like, an Italian mobster. I'm like, give me the gabagool, you know? <laughs> I'm in a mood today. I'm in a, I'm in a weird place today. I am, too. Give me the gabagool. (laughs) Okay. So, in the early years of the decade, fashion continued along the lines of the 50s. Skirt suits and coordinating accessories were emphasized as one decade transitioned into the next. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy epitomized this look during her husband's presidential campaign and short presidency, and she was admired around the world for her put-together ladylike look. So... Um, if you look up images of Jackie Kennedy at, um, JFK's, JFK, yes, at his inauguration, there, there's a lot of pictures of her in this, like, blue suit. And what I think is really interesting is that at the time, actually, printing presses just leaned a little more blue. She was actually wearing a tan suit. Really? 
Yeah, it was just printed a little bit blue because of not only the printing process, but the film that was used in the cameras. Interesting. It made it look blue, but it was actually like tan. It was like a like a beigey color. Huh. Yeah, if you look it up, it's really interesting. I've read a bunch of articles about it. It's really cool. Um so the cultural phenomenon termed swinging London began in 1955 but reached its peak in the early to mid 60s. It was a phenomenon that focused on youth spotlighting music and fashion. It brought us the Beatles, the miniskirt, Twiggy, and the Who. Wow. Yeah. The designer who led the way in the quote unquote youth quake. I love that term. I do too. Um, <laughs> was Mary Quaint, who opened up her first shop, Bazaar, on the King's Road in Chelsea, London, in 1955. Quaint's simple, colorful designs appealed to teenagers and young people who had more, disposal com- more disposable income than any generation before. It differed from the stuffy looks of the older generation and appealed to young women who embraced the childlike styles Quaint produced. Along with the miniskirt came the craze for the playful and innovative use of new materials and a focus on a scientific progress. So newly developed materials such as acrylics, polyesters, and shiny PVC were used in women's clothing while designers were inspired by pop art and the space race. Um, While the miniskirt reached its height mid-decade, by the late 60s, a new style and culture was emerging. Skirts dipped back to mid-calf, and by 1969, the full-length maxi skirt had emerged. This came with the move towards the hippie aesthetic. So, some fashion icons. Number one of the time, absolutely Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. There are photos of her in every single one of these styles. She had the classy look, Breakfast at Tiffany's. She had the super cute, youthful, playful stuff just in her being herself, as well as the, like, super classic Jackie Kennedy look. Yeah. There's photos of her literally doing every style, and she pulls it off so well, and she's beautiful, and everybody wanted to be her. There was literally an entire, like, three pages about Audrey Hepburn that I could have put in here, but I didn't because time. Um... Some other fashion icons, like we had already mentioned, were Twiggy, who was a very famous model of the time, um, Jackie Kennedy, as mentioned before, yes. Mia Farrow, uh, Dusty Springfield, and Jaron Shrimpton, most of whom were models. Hmm. Just as women wear, women's wear became more casual and colorful throughout the 1960s, so too did men's wear. While men's wear began moving towards a more casual style in the 50s, the frenetic energy of the swinging London found its way with bright prints and colors for men. There had not been very much movement in men's fashion for over 100 years, and the change was extremely striking. The V and A writes... Perhaps the most remarkable development in the 1960s dress was the dramatic change in menswear. For the past 150 years, clothing for men had been tailor-made, plain, and somber in appearance. Now colorful new elements were introduced, such as the collarless jacket worn with slim-fitting trousers and boots, end quote. By the mid-1960s, even the suit itself was seeing changes. Brightly striped or colored patterns, um sorry, brightly colored striped or patterned suits were worn by bold young men, while even the trousers and jacket did not escape from new styling. Again, the V&A writes, 
As the 60s gathered pace, the standard template for a man's suit began to accommodate subtly daring new elements. The collarless jacket, uh, open parenthesis, a look popularized by the Beatles in 1963, the year they launched their first album, close parenthesis, and slim-fitting trousers matched with heeled boots rather than shoes. End quote. As mentioned, even who is inspiring men's style was changing. Where movie stars had been a primary style icon since the 30s, rock stars such as the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, and Mick Jagger, among others, became a primary influence on men's fashion. From the mid-60s, men's fashion was influenced by military elements, with many of the rock influences contributing to its popularity. Mick Jagger and Jimi Hendrix both sported military jackets during performances, while the Beatles' 1967 album Saint Pepper's, sorry, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band shows the band wearing neon versions of these styles. You know what I think about when I think about men's 60s fashion? Hmm. The Austin Powers films. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely yes. I don't know why. I mean, those girls' shirts were skirts were so small. Oh yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. And I mean, he wore literally a suit in every single freaking color. Yes. I think right? my favorite Even like a sparkly one is like one. the burgundy one. That's the iconic one. Yeah, that's the iconic one. Mhm. Is it burgundy? I think it's red. Yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. No, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Didn't he wear a sparkly one, too? Most definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. I watched that film in my theater class in high school. Why? I don't know. We watched weird movies in that class. <laughs> Shout out yeah, to I feel like... Mr. Southworth. Or... <laughs> yeah, it was Mr. Southworth. Because he also showed us that Scrooge movie that came out in, like, the 70s. I think it was called Scrooged. Oh. Is this that one that you texted me and you were like, this was the most terrifying movie I've ever seen? I think it was a different one. So it came out in the 80s, actually. And it is Bill Murray as, like, his name is Frank Cross in the movie, but it's a retelling of Christmas Carol. Oh, no, not that one. Sorry, I thought you were... Th I was thinking of another movie you had talked to me about. What movie had I talked to you about that scarred me? I don't know. There was one movie we were talking about it, and you were like, oh my gosh, this movie is terrible. It's so scary. I don't like it. <laughs> Might have been one of ours. I don't remember now. It probably was if it was like a 80s movie or a 70s movie, like The Labyrinth or The NeverEnding Story or something like that. I knew you were going to say The Labyrinth. <laughs> How did I know it was going to be the labyrinth? I think because we min <laughs> I may have mentioned it on the disorder episode. I honestly don't remember what I mentioned in those three hours we recorded. Honestly, same. Shout out to Annie and the boys. Yeah, we had a really good time. Come back on the show. We could do other stuff. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about labyrinth. Yeah. We'll talk about truly terrifying movies of the age. Return to Oz. That one was terrifying. Have you seen that We're one? I'm not going to talk about this. <laughs> Have you seen that one? It's it's terrifying. I've been seeing a lot of video. This is like a total tangent. I saw a video today or today, a few days ago. That was like um, how Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, The Labyrinth, 
and Return to Oz are like all connected. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. And it was Ryan Reynolds who was doing it too. I'll send it to you. Let's go back to the episode. Because what? We're on page five of 13. We're doing good. We're making good progress. So, 70s fashion began with the continuation of the late 60s hippie style. In the early 70s, this meant an emphasis on handmade materials and decorations. While hippies of the 60s had embraced these items as a way of rejecting mainstream fashion, designers in the early 70s began to incorporate them into their high fashion collections. Patchwork, crochet, and knitting, and embroidery were among the details used by designers. Along with an emphasis on handmade crafts, 70s designers looked to the past for inspiration. A pervasive style of the early 70s was the prairie dress, midi length with flounces and delicate floral patterns. These dresses were popularized by the designers and retailers alike, like Gun Sachs and Bill, Gil, Bill Gibb. The styles bore a similar resemblance to the Victorian styles, while also not dissimilar to some of the hippie styles of the late 60s. In the early to mid-70s, designers looked to the 30s and 40s for inspiration. In 1971, Yves Saint Laurent was especially inspired by the 40s style. His 1940s-inspired collection, Liberation, caused a stir as fashion reporters and other consumers who had been alive during World War II were reminded of the German occupation. Milford Cottom writes, quote, They, fashion reporters, reacted with revulsion to the turbans, flirty crepe dresses, and dyed fur boxy jackets that reminded them of the Second World War era prostitutes. End quote. Was that face? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's kind of like yikes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So though this collection was not necessarily well received by all, the 1930s and 1940s continued to be a strong influence on the styles of the 70s. Um, while day work also looked to the past, evening wear was thoroughly modern. Thoroughly modern, really. That's all I could think of. <laughs> Yeah. Um, while it, while it may have been known as the quote polyester decade, satin sequins and velvet ruled the dance floor as disco became increasingly popular. Women's evening wear became increase, increasingly glamorous as well. Editor Catherine Hennessy writes of the glamorous styles in fashion, the ultimate book of fashion and style. I want this book. Catherine Hennessy, we're going to talk about her quite a bit. She's, she has a lot to say about what we're going to talk about coming up. So, classy full-length figure huggers battled with short, sparkly halter necks and hot pants for center stage. Lycra, satin, and velvet were the fabrics of choice, while feathers and sequins added extra sparkle. End quote. Sparkle and glamour remained ubiquitous throughout the decade, and the short mini dresses and hot pants earlier in the decade became longer, swirling dresses and skirts in the later part. This change was accompanied by a shift from chunky heels to strappy sandals. Throughout the 60s and 70s, women were gaining increasing sexual freedoms, and this was reflected in their clothing. New styles were created, and women began to wear clothing heavily inspired by menswear. In 1974, Bianca Jagger wore a white tuxedo to Halston by Halston to Studio 54. 
This look was not dissimilar to the Yves Saint Laurent 1966 Le Smoking Suit and Trousers became increasingly acceptable for both formal wear and workwear. Trouser suits became less form-fitting and feminine, and Diane Keaton as Annie Hall inspired a trend for layers, layered menswear in 1977. Another look that reflected women's sexual freedom was the wrap dress. Producing one of the most famous and popular iterations in 1974, Diane von Furstenberg sold over 5 million dresses in just two wow. years. Right? Wow. Yeah. Also, I just gotta say, wrap dresses are still one of the most flattering styles of dresses I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Same. They are the only dress that looks good on everybody. Yes. I have not seen one wrap dress that looked bad on somebody. It looks good on everyone. I agree. Yes. This dress allowed women to transition from day to evening, and von Furstenberg specifically touted its ability to be taken off and on easily. Um, Milford Cottom writes, quote, With long sleeves and at midi length, Wrap dresses offered a professional appearance in the office and could then be dressed up with strappy sandals, jewelry, and loosened hair for an evening on the town immediately after work. Von Furstenberg openly stated that she designed for the empowered woman, seeking a simple little dress that whipped off in an instant and more usefully could be swiftly and silently pulled back Sorry, could be swiftly and silently pulled back on in a dark bedroom without waking last night's sexual conquest. Oh my god! End quote. I mean, that's what the 60s and 70s were about. It was about the sexual awakening. Age of Aquarius, you know? Yes. Um, what is it? Hair? One love. Yeah, that was hair. <laughs> Let the sun shine in. Okay. <laughs> As the 70s slipped into the 80s, an emphasis on personal fitness foreshadowed the rise of athletic wear as informal wear. James Laver writes in Costume and Fashion, A Concise History, quote, In the late 70s, an American designer, Norma Kamali, was instrumental in bringing sportswear into the fashion arena, introducing sweatshirting, rah-rah skirts, bandeau tops, jumpsuits, leotards, and leggings, end quote. These styles would, of course, come to typify in 1980s fashion, but originated in the later years of the 70s. Men's fashion in the 70s continued to get brighter and bolder, and by the early 70s, the so-called, quote, peacock revolution, end quote, that had started in the 50s had made it acceptable for men to wear brighter colors, bolder prints, and wear their hair long. While the suit continued to be a staple for many men, new innovative styles were also popularized. In the early 70s, men's fashion tried to emphasize tall, lean figures. Turtlenecks, slim-fitting shirts, and tight-fitting flared pants all worked to popularize the silhouette. Milford Cottom writes, quote, Wide belts with large buckles focused the eye on the center of the torso, making broader bodies appear slimmer. Over the top, a sleeveless waistcoat or jerkin, a classic single-breasted sports jacket in tweed, denim, or corduroy, or a blouson jacket in leather or synthetic fabric was usually worn, end quote. 
Shirts and trousers were tighter than they'd ever been, and the long hair popularized by the hippies in the late 60s continued to be widespread. Just as women's wear embraced elements of men's wear, men's fashion also became more gender neutral in the 1970s. Quote, fashion had reached a new level of gender equality, particularly in informal wear, end quote, says Milford Cottom. T-shirts, jeans, shirts, and sweaters were worn both by men and women, and some skinny men even opted to wear women's clothing instead of men's. Like, as we had mentioned, the sexual revolution also brought forth the gender-neutral trends of moving forward. Yeah. Well, specifically in the 70s. I feel like the 70s were very gender-neutral. Yeah. I mean, think Saturday Night Fever. You've watched um, Sophia Nygaard, right? Yes. Her 70s video where she did the matching, I believe, suit with her now husband. Yes. Exactly. Are you pulling like, all the references? Austin oh, totally. Sophia Nygaard? Totally. I mean, her videos, honestly, are the perfect summation of every decade. Yes. They are amazing. She does more in 20 minutes than what I could do in three hours. Yeah. She touches on all of the popular points. Plus, I mean, a visual versus an auditory medium. But... I highly recommend you go watch those videos. I'll link them below. Okay. Kara, remind me that I said I was going to link them. (laughs) (laughs) We will be different next week. What do you mean different? We will have just come back from Nashville. I know. We're both going to be like, (laughs) I have to teach a class Thursday when I get back. Um, Anyway. Uh, In the mid-1970s, some men and women in London began to shock with the anarchic... Anarchic. Anarchic. That's a terrible terrible word. It is. With the anarchic punk style. This style spread somewhat throughout Europe and North America, but its bedrock was in London and the UK with Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren spreading the style. Um... With their shops in sedentaries. The style consisted of tight black pants, leather jackets, and Dr. Martin boots, which are still very popular today. Yes. Laver writes of the punk style, quote, clothes were slashed and ripped, embellished with safety pins, zips, and studs. T-shirts were printed with aggressive anarchistic slogans, end quote. British band the Sex Pistols were a high-profile puck punk band that helped to popularize the style as fans ripped their clothing and created their home own homemade version of the clothes seen on the band style icons of the time included farrah fawcett of course diane von furstenberg of course liza minnelli of course Joni mitchell and faye dunaway this leads us into the 70s or in the 80s one of my personal favorite decades Yes. Also, we need to find pictures of our parents from the 80s and 90s and use them as Instagram content for this episode. The bookshelf behind me has scrapbooks. I got a bunch, too. I think actually my mom's yearbook. Maybe here. That would be amazing. I have my mom's yearbooks, too. 
So, a decade typified by its power dressing, the 1980s actually opened with stylish, stylish sportswear and the soft, new romantics style. Carrying on from the late 70s trend for sportswear, encouraged by a fitness craze, women increasingly wore stylish gym wear in their day-to-day -day life. This was captured in Jennifer Beale's attire in the 1983 movie Flashdance. I love that movie! <laughs> Dancewear-inspired fashion, including the off-the-shoulder sweatshirts and leggings, while Jane Fonda's exercise videos also encouraged these styles, as well as teen films of the time like Fame, Dirty Dancing, and, as I had already mentioned, Flashdance. Yeah. Yep. The fitness craze was also very prominent in men's style and was a big part in the developing quotes street style which was worn mostly by hip-hop and rap artists emerging in the 80s groups like run dmc and the beastie boys the street style eventually became its own sub genre of style but uh, for the moment it is part of this athletic wear craze um these elements included old school white trainers by adidas and puma distressed tapered jeans preppy button down and polo shirts nylon coach jackets hooded sweatshirts, gold chains, and baseball caps worn at an angle. So, you know, what you think of when you picture a typical, you know, 1980s street rapper, Run DMC, just yeah. the cap. Um, yeah. The early to mid-1980s saw the rise of goth fashion, which expanded on the punk style from the late 70s. Catherine Hennessy writes, quote, both men and women wore clothes inspired by Victorian morning garb and Bram Stoker's Dracula. It was not long before this movement took to the streets, end quote. A key style for both goth and punk looks were Dr. Martin boots. There they are again. Yep. I think of um, Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. Yes. Also, um, Bender from The Breakfast Club. Yes. Yes. His was more like 70s sex pistol anarchistic a little bit. Yeah. But still. But like, you know, that Lydia punk. Dietz. Yeah, absolutely, Lydia Dietz. The hat that she wears? Yeah. Like the big black hat? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Puffed sleeves, oversized accessories such as belts and bows, and historical references made bold statements. Vivian Westwood gave this look an edge with her pirate collection in 1981. This was adopted by bands and club goers in London as the, quote, new romantic look. So, okay, when I think Vivian Westwood, pirate collection, new romantic look, I think of Boy George. Of, of Culture Club. Yes. You know who I'm talking about? I, I believe so. I'll pull it up. Hold on. This is Boy George. Yes. Also, every time I think of Culture Club, the only song I can think of is Karma Chameleon. Karma, 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 Karma Chameleon. Yeah. You come and go. You come and go. I love that song. Okay. I Seriously, I love the 80s. Um, as the decade progressed, so-called power dressing began to dominate. This reflected a shift in women working in high-powered positions and using fashion to be taken seriously. Padded shoulders and bold accessories made up this look. 
I feel like that look is starting to come back, though. Like, the power suit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not a skirt now. It's, like, shorts and, a, and like, a really cute blazer. Yes. And they match. But I feel like it's a look. Yeah. I'm so, like, it. would this be where we get the Heather's iconic look? I think so, like yeah. The power blazer that they have. Mm-hmm. The colored. Blazer, skirt. Yeah, totally. Um, designer personalities also became a focal point of fashion in the early 80s as each designer promoted a signature style. Some of these personality-driven brands included Christian Lacroix, uh, Gianni Versace, John Paul Gaultier, and Karl Lagerfeld for Chanel. Though the dominant trend of the 80s was bigger is better, taffeta, taffeta and bright colors, other designers emerged and created their own styles. For daywear, American designers such as Perry Ellis and Ralph Lauren turned to classic styles and menswear styles such as blazers, button-downs, and hand-knit sweaters to create a casually elegant women's wear. These styles came to represent casual American style and were adopted as a, quote, preppy style in the U.S., uh, preppy referencing the elite preparatory schools attended by wealthy teens. Yeah. Ooh, my computer's freaking out. This style was influenced by traditional Ivy League and Seven Sisters style, all well as well as the dress of the early 20th century British aristocrats. In her book Seven Sisters Style, Rebecca C. Tweet, I think that's how you say her name, Tweete, Tweet, no, it looks like it would be Tweet, right? Yeah, that's what I'd okay. say. Okay. She writes, Lorraine's interpretation of the collegiate look was never a costume or disguise. And when it was an understated appreciation of good and classic style. End mm-hmm. quote. Number one, the number one fashion icon for the 1980s was undeniably Princess Diana. Which she's starting she, to come back again. She is, which I love. I do too. She was, she was elegant. She had grace. And her style was impeccable. Her wedding dress started a trend that lasted well into the mid-90s of, like, the huge sleeve, ball gown-style dress with, like, a train for days. Yeah, my mom didn't have huge sleeves, but it was a giant ball gown with a huge train. Yeah, my mom's wedding dress that she designed had the drop waist, the giant ball gown, the ginormous sleeves. We have it in the closet. I'll I'll put photos up. Um, yeah, but some other fashion icons of the time included Molly Ringwald, especially for teens. Yeah. Um, Janet Jackson, Joan Jett, Grace Jones, Tina Turner, Madonna, Brooke Shields, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Wow. Mm-hmm. In the final decade of the 20th century, fashion continued to move towards a more casual style of dressing and minimalism. While there were periods of more formal dress, the 20th century largely saw fashion moving towards a much more minimalistic and casual style. As the 80s ended, this approach became very widespread. Excuse me. By the end of the decade, it was clear that this approach to dressing was here to stay. At the beginning of the decade, the high fashion supermodels peaked with models such as Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell pictured on the front of Vogue in 1990. Catherine Hennessy writes in Fashion, the Ultimate Book of Costume and Style, quote, The phenomenon of the supermodel reached its height in the 1990s. Among the most celebrated were Linda Evangelista, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, and Christy Turlington. 
When these four strutted down the catwalk arm in arm during Versace's 1991 autumn winter fashion show in Milan, they were more famous than the clothes, end quote. Wow. Which I would argue is still p- pretty true. Yeah. Like the concept of the supermodel is very prevalent still. True. I mean, Tyra Banks. Yeah. Ashley Graham. Yeah. Kate Middleton. Kate, no, not Kate Middleton. Um, Kate Hudson. Yes. Kate Middleton's right? the royal. Kate Middleton is the royal, sorry. But she's even <laughs> like embodying Princess Diana and her outfits. Oh, totally. So the sportswear look of the 80s continued into the early 90s with biker shorts, leggings, keds, and oversized sweatshirts continuing to be favorite choices for young women. The early part of the decade also saw a revival of the 60s and 70s styles, such as miniskirts, flares, and punk styles. I feel like that's a very, like, Phoebe Buffay. Yes. Long skirts, hippie-y, very Phoebe Buffay. Um, The desire for vintage clothes encouraged the spread of secondhand clothing stores, which were also used for the grunge fashion, a style that emerged in Seattle in the late 1980s, and by the early 90s, it was a widespread look that was based on everyday clothing, such as baggy, worn-out jeans, flannel shirts, and Doc Martin boots. Again, they've never left. Nope. (laughs) For women, this also included a simple slip dress, also worn with chunky boots. In 1993, grunge made it to the catwalk in Marc Jacobs' collection for Perry Ellis. Along with the popularity of grunge came a shift away from the earlier popularity of supermodels to a new type of model epitomized by Kate Moss. Moss became known for her heroin chic photo shoots in rundown locations. Heroin is spelt as in like heroin the drug, not heroin like super heroin. I feel like that's important because, like, when I first thought of it, I was like, oh, heroin, like, a hero. No. Heroin as in, like, sickly, ill, sick. Yeah. Um, So Hennessy writes, quote, It was out with the glossy and wholesome supermodels and in with a new breed of fragile, individual-looking, and often younger models. A new phrase, heroin chic, described the down-at-heel settings for fashion shoots presented in magazines. Such a dressed-down style didn't suit the personalities of supermodels, and designers opted to make the clothes the star of the show once more, end quote. In the mid-90s, styles became more feminine again. Slip dresses epitomized the minimalistic look during this time period. Silky versions were worn as formal wear, while a popular daytime look was a slip dress over a white t-shirt. The, quote, sexy schoolgirl, end quote, was seen in movies like Clueless and later in the decade in Britney Spears' Baby One More Time video became popular during the middle of the decade. Undersized sweaters, baby doll t-shirts, and knee-high socks all made up this look that was worn by young women. As the decade progressed, the casual style remained. Utilitarian styles such as cargo pants and the Gap sweatshirts became popular for everyday wear. Amy De La Haye and Andrew Tucker noted in Costume and Fashion, A Concise History, quote, American retailer The Gap, founded in San Francisco in 1969, universalized the popularity of garments such as the hooded sweatshirt and cargo pants, the latter contributing to a massive downsizing in the denim market, making once basic items a wardrobe staple for all generations, end quote. Also, the 90s bring us Jenko jeans. Yes. 
Do you remember Jenko jeans? Were they still like a thing in your school when you were like starting school? I believe so. Like the jeans that just looked enormous. Like you looked like you were wearing a giant's pants. No, they weren't. There was a few kids at my school who had a few. Interesting. I'm sure they were hand-me-downs from like siblings. Yeah. But like Also, I have one fandom fact or fandom news that should be important enough to share because it okay. will be the day after. Ashley Eckstein's going to be at Disneyland, downtown Disney. Okay. So, with the new millennium looming, women's fashion turned to a more bohemian style with influences from the 1970s. Embroidery and mixed fabrics and Eastern influences made their way into fashion once again, as De La Haye and Tucker write. From 1960, sorry, 1996 to the end of the decade, the bohemian look came, became the overriding trend within women's wear at all market levels, incorporating the adapted ethnic embroideries of Belgian designer Dries van Norten, and the bold color sense of young British designer Matthew Williamson, and the irreverent mixtures of fabric from the Milanese design houses such as Marnie and Fendi, end quote. With the new casual bohemian styles came low-slung jeans and crop tops, which would be the hallmark of the coming decade. Like women's wear in the 1990s, men's wear also became more and more casual. Jeans and untucked shirts became typical casual wear as trends in music like grunge, hip-hop, and Britpop influenced styles throughout the decade. Towards the mid-90s, grunge began to fade in popularity, but the casual approach to fashion remained. Other styles of music, including hip-hop and rap, continued to influence fashion during this period, and the popular styles came from this predominantly influenced sportswear, including baseball caps and jackets, basketball shorts, tracksuits, and hoodies. But flannel shirts also carried over from grunge. De La Haye and Tucker note the connection between sportswear and more casual styles of the decade, writing, The prevalence of urban sportwear in male dress can also be directly correlated to the increasingly formal appro- informal approach to workplace clothing. Jeans and sweatshirts became acceptable during the mid-90s in all but the most formal industries as, quote, Friday wear began to extend its influence throughout the week, end quote. Later in the decade, jeans were joined by khaki pants as a popular option for men. A dressy casual style emerged as jeans and khakis were worn with blazers and dress shirts for a hybrid and formal look. Characters on Dawson's Creek, typified in the late 90s, bag, bag, sorry, characters on Dawson's Creek typified the late 90s baggy look, while Brad Pitt embraced the casual khakis and white shirt look. In 1998, The Gap advertised khaki pants for both men and women in a striking commercial. Around this time, untucked shirts also became the norm. There was also a return to designers such as Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein. Some notable style icons of the time were Drew Barrymore, J-Lo, Winona Ryder, Gwyneth Paltrow, Brad Pitt, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, and Gwen Stefani. Another notable element of influencing style in the fashion... Sorry. Whew. Another notable element of influencing style was the was the fashion that the TV stars wore. This was prevalent in the 80s, but mostly in the 90s, with shows like Friends, Boy Meets World, Beverly Hills 90210, Full that House. That was one of my dad's favorite shows. Really? Beverly Hills, yeah. Yeah. He still watches it to this day. Like, I'll just come home and it'll be on. It'll be on. 
Yeah. Um, Full House, Saved by the Bell, The Wonder Years, Baywatch, The Nanny, and many, many more were becoming increasingly popular, and many style icons of the time were also produced from these shows. These were people such as Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, especially for teenagers and young girls, yes. Jennifer Aniston, Candace Cameron, Jodie Sweden, Pamela Anderson, Fran Drescher, Will Smith, Luke Perry, Jason Priestley, Ryder Strong, Danielle Fischel, Tiffany Thiessen, Mario Lopez, Elizabeth Berkley, Lark Borges, and Marpaul Gosselier. Many of the teen-oriented shows not only affected their target audience's sense of style, but also reflected the more current and popular styles of the decade. People like Jennifer Aniston, in particular, made a huge impact, and had she had women clamoring to cut their hair and dress like her. Like, Rachel was every woman's ideal woman of the 90s for the most part you know there's always exceptions but like in general yeah to this day there is a certain hairstyle dubbed the rachel because of the infamy of jennifer aniston's hair in the first season of friends when she was playing rachel green As the new decade and millennium dawned, fashion largely continued on the same trajectory that had started in the late 90s. However, in the aftermath of September 11, 2001 attacks, fashion returned to conservatism. With the rise of new technology, fashion spread quickly and celebrities paid a key role in consumer choices as images were shared throughout the internet instantly. While popular styles changed over the years, one item remained ubiquitous throughout the decade. Denim jeans. Yes. In the early part of the decade, the bohemian, or boho, look uh, took hold as a more sophisticated take on the grunge look of the 90s. While grunge emphasized the dressed-down and worn uh, look of secondhand clothing, boho styles utilized vintage secondhand styles instead. In Fashion, the Ultimate Book of Costume and Style by Katherine Hennessy, she writes... Instead of scouring secondhand shops for well-worn oversized sweaters and army surplus gear, bohos went to expensive clothing boutiques. In Paris, it was called boho, which stood for bourgeoisie bohème, implying that it was an affiction of the middle-class champagne socialists. End quote. During the early to mid part of the decade, skin was in. Tiny mini skirts, often denim, might be worn with Ugg boots. Beyonce chose this look at a Super Bowl party in 2004. Google it. Um, <laughs> ultra low-rise jeans were accompanied oh. by tight crop shirts to show off the midriff. I hate low-rise jeans. Everybody hates low-rise jeans. Low-rise jeans look terrible on most people. If you're not literally like a size zero, low-rise jeans are going to look bad. Yes. High waist. They're the worst. Away. High-waisted. I want high-waisted. Like, if I had high-waisted jeans up to, like, my under boob, I would be happy. Like, I just want to be, like, in one giant sock of denim. Yes. Just into a sock of denim. Yes. (laughs) The decade was littered with various it items that all the fashionable set have. The item, it items from the decade include the Von Dutch trucker hats. Sidebar, if you haven't watched the Von Dutch documentary, watch it. It's really good. Um, juicy couture velour track suits, which yes. are coming back. Yeah. Ugg boots, which I don't think ever went out of style. No. And the baguette bag, among others. 
What's Those the are baguette like the, bag? The really, really like teeny tiny bags that you can't hold anything in. That were also really long for some reason. So they look like a baguette. Interesting. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. I okay. never owned Ugg boots. I owned fake Uggs for a long time as a kid. And it wasn't until I was in high school that I actually owned a pair of like real Ugg boots. And they were a gift. It doesn't get cold enough in Florida. It only gets cold enough here like in February. Yeah. But I also live up in the mountains. It gets really cold up here like it snowed last year, two years ago. Wow. Yeah. So. What's mountains? <laughs> High swamp. <laughs> hey, <this> Along- swamp. <laughs> <laughs> get out of me swamp. You Shrek. I'm convinced everybody who lives in Florida is Shrek now. Yeah. Y'all live in a swamp. Yeah. I love Alongside- how we keep getting lower and lower in this. I know. <laughs> Alongside these, in the final years of the decade, there was a return to the 1940s and 80s structured silhouettes, nipped in waist and shoulder pads. Alexander McQueen's Spring 2008 Ready to Wear collection featured feminine 40s-inspired looks, while Marc Jacobs' Spring 2009 evoked 80s party dresses. Designers even collaborated with fast fashion retailers to bring affordable versions of their designs to consumers. In November of 2004, H&M debuted their first designer collection with Karl Lagerfeld. The affordably priced pieces were an instant hit and mostly sold out on the first day to the surprise of both H&M and Lagerfeld himself. At the time, H&M marketing director Jorgen Anderson told WWD, quote, We've been operating this business for some 60 years, and we've never seen anything like it, end quote. Truly fast fashion. The frenzy was seen across some stores in the U.S. and Europe, with some stores selling out in less than 20 minutes. Wow. The success led to H&M collaborating with other high fashion designers over the years with retailers, with other retailers like Target following suit. Also, the Victoria Beckham line from Target from like four or five years ago was elite. Yes. Like women's wear, men's wear at the beginning of the 2000s looked to the future for inspiration. Futuristic styles for men included a dominance of black with some silver additions, trench coats, and thin square sunglasses. I think of the Matrix. Yes. Like they all looked like they just walked out of the Matrix. Yes. Especially, especially Justin Timberlake for some reason. There's so many photos where I'm like, you could have just popped out of the Matrix movie with your ramen hair. Yeah. <coughs> this is also the era where we see denim, denim suit, uh, denim suit Justin and yes. denim dress Britney Spears. Yes. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> um, however, after September 11th, men's fashion also returned to more conservative dress with sportswear as the dominant style. This included tracksuits, polo shirts, sometimes layered or with a collar popped, cargo pants, and rugby shirts. One of the defining brands of the early to mid-2000s for both men and women was Ed Hardy. Embraced by celebrities, t-shirts emblazoned with a tattoo-inspired art and Ed Hardy logo could not be avoided. Complementing the Ed Hardy clothing were Von Dutch trucker hats, which were seen on celebrities such as Justin Timberlake, Ashton Kutcher, Britney Spears, and most notably Paris Hilton making it the must-have item for several years in the middle part of the decade. Later in the decade, two distinct music subcultures emerged from influencing men's fashion. 
rap-inspired gangster style, an indie-inspired emo or scene. I was an emo kid in high school. I was not. <laughs> the gangster look evolved, um, involved baggy wide-legged jeans, basketball jerseys, puffer jackets, and vests. Quote, stunna shades and Air Jordans. While inspired by black rappers and hip-hop artists, this look was also copied by wealthy white men. Which is like, I don't understand that. I don't either. Were they trying to, like, look cool? I think that's what it is. I think they were trying to appeal. (laughs) You good? Sure. (laughs) I'm tired. We're almost done. On the other end of the spectrum, the indie rock look saw the rise of skinny jeans for men, band t-shirts with blazers, black fingernails, skinny ties, and side sweat bangs covering part of the face. This was initially inspired by the early part of the decade by bands such as The Stroke and The Libertines and was later adapted by groups such as Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, Blink-182, and others. Although, I must say, sorry, also Green Day. Um, but I must say, I think Blink-182 is a little bit more skater than it was punk, but... Yes. Um, especially Green Day, though. The skinny tie yes. with the skinny jeans. Their ties were as small as their jeans. <laughs> I think, uh, and this isn't even like a visual, but I so think of um, Talia Grace or Thalia, however you pronounce it, from Percy Jackson... She is definitely an emo kid, like emo scene kid. I love her. She's um, daughter of Zeus. Cool. Favorite band is Green Day. Okay, yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) So, celebrity influence was a story throughout the decade for men and women. Um, Adults, youth, and children alike. Men emulated styles seen on musicians, TV, and movie stars, and even reality stars. This was also the rise of reality TV. Mm-hmm. Delahaye and Tucker write in Costume and Fashion, quote, The extraordinary power of celebrities to shape consumer choices has been a notable feature of the 21st century. End quote. I also felt it remiss to talk about the 2000s without talking about children's fashion. Yes. Because I feel like children's and teen fashion also leaked very heavily into adult fashion, especially when it came to like adults playing teens on TV and these images that these adults had to keep up. Yeah. So um, children's wear in the aughts, like women's wear and men's wear, was inspired by the accessibility of celebrity inspiration. The Disney Channel and Nickelodeon saw the rise of child and teenage stars whose style young people and especially girls, copied in the early part of the 2000s. The stars of Lizzie McGuire and That's So Raven wore colorful, boldly patterned, coordinating outfits, which were emulated by young girls during the decade. These shows incorporated fashion into the plots and actively encouraged girls to engage with fashion in their promotional material. Simplicity patterns produced Lizzie McGuire patterns for girls to use Lizzie's... for girls to use to get Lizzie's style. In 2003, my favorite Disney Channel movie series, The Cheetah Girls, a movie about a band, a girl band, 
utilized adult trends like the velour tracksuits and shearling coats. This is true. Um, throughout the decade, layers played a prominent role. And from 2006, Hannah Montana and the High School Musical series helped to influence young girls' clothing choice. I even think okay. about... Um, there was a TikTok I saw literally today, and it was the actress who played Harper on Disney Channel. Um, and someone had made a Harper Finkel-inspired bee outfit. And was yes. like, this is my, like, actual wear is my fashion icon to this day is harper finkel yes and she was amazing this makes me yes because the actress was just like commenting on it or rather the now nurse yeah she's a nurse guys yeah she is um i think one of the persons who uh, persons one of the people who epitomized the layered look of the 2000s is Ashley Tisdale. Yes. She was the queen of unnecessary layers. Go look at her outfit for the Princess Diaries 2 uh, premiere. Her outfit for the literally any Sweet Life movie premiere. Um, um, the High School Musical premieres. Yes. It is amazing how many layers they and put the this girl thing in. Is, is I have a perfect image in mind of for the boys, what I will be referencing. Okay, let's get into those boys. Yeah. So, ooh. Let's get into the clothes. Nope. <laughs> let's just talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Some boys wore the casual styles for men. Baggy jeans, khaki pants, and cargo shorts were typically paired with graphic t-shirts or polos. In the early parts of the decade, this was inspired by the West Coast skater look, with skateboarding rising in popularity and inspiring boys' fashion, as I'd mentioned Blink-182 in skater style. Long and short sleeve button-down shirts were layered over t-shirts or sometimes polo shirts. Front zip hoodies and sneakers were key aspects of a boy's wardrobe. In the later part of the decade, jeans slimmed down again and young boys could emulate the indie styles for themselves, as seen on the Jonas Brothers in 2000. Yes. So... I'm sure you guys know about Rupert Grint's first premiere outfit. It was like baggy khaki pants and a green hoodie and a green top. Yeah. Also, literally anything um, Dylan Sprouse wore on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Yes. Literally anything. Hold on. No. That was his premiere outfit for the first Potter film. That's so bad. <laughs> That's so bad. The only one that was like kind of cute of the the trio was Emma Watson. Of course. She wore that dress. Yeah. Oh, no. Pants. Well, this is a different one, obviously. Hold on. Where's the dress? The white dress, right? Didn't she wear, like, a little white fluffy dress? No. This one. Oh, gray. Gray dress. He just wore the same suit twice. <laughs> <laughs> different different shirt. Different shirt. But, yeah. Look at, look at her. She's so cute. And then... She is. Epitome of 2000s fashion. 
literally Rupert Grint. Oh gosh, I can't. This is so funny. Okay. Did you not know about the, that being his premiere outfit? I think I did. It looked, I was like, oh yes. Um, but teen fashion also saw an influence from celebrities, especially from the rise of teen shows such as The O.C. and One Tree Hill. Abercrombie and Fitch, Hollister and Co., and American Eagle were the brands to be seen in for teens in the early 2000s, as they supplied logoed polo shirts, popular jean styles, and some of the favorite trends such as denim miniskirts. In 2007, teens and young adults got the high fashion treatment on the show Gossip Girl, which not only featured designer fashion, but often centered its plot around fashion. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter as the show came to a close in 2012, the CW's former entertainment chief, Don Ostroff, noted how the show influenced consumer choices. Quote, People watch the show the way they read a magazine. They want to know where to get the clothes and where to get the music and where to go to in New- where to go in New York. I End mean, quote. that's even today. There's a website that you can go on that is as worn on TV, and it's yeah, you know, the exact dress that a character mm-hmm. wore. And I mean, when my friends and I went to New York, we had to like travel over to see the friends' apartment or like the building that they used. Duh. So, like, this is even happening today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, By the start of the second season of Gossip Girl in 2008, the show is influencing not only teen fashion, but fashion for women in their 20s and older as well. Despite the characters portrayed on the show still being in high school, their altered school uniforms created a trend for preppy clothing and priorities. An eight-year-old company featuring preppy styles sold at Macy's. Bloomingdale's and other department stores saw sales double in that year after Gossip Girl debuted, demonstrating the power the show had on influencing trends. Labels mentioned or worn on the show sold out within days of the episode premiering, while girls would tear looks out of magazines and bring into stores looking for the style. Like the story of fashion as a whole of the 2000s, this was heightened by the styles being shared on the internet. So, I don't know. We already kind of mentioned a few style icons of this time. Um, I think mostly it was a lot of celebrities. Like we had already mentioned some of the celebrities from before. Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, J-Lo still. Um, Who else? Gwen Stefani, Avril Lavigne, Green Day, Fall Out Boy, Jay-Z. Biggie Smalls, Tupac. I mean, they had already been Tupac or Biggie Smalls died in 2002, I believe. But they still were influencing the style even after they had passed. But even Um, TV shows. TV shows. Exactly. Gossip Girl. Yeah. Gossip Girl. That's So Raven. Lizzie McGuire. Even Stevens. Wizards of Waverly Place. That was a little bit later. But... Um, still still so Rupert Grint's premiere outfit (laughs) the cheetah girls Raven Simone especially yeah she had a pretty good decade uh, Rupert Grint man (laughs) (laughs) so I think this is where we're gonna call it um since the styles of the 2010s is like super expansive we could literally do a whole episode just on the 2010s and 
as far as the 2020s, we're only two years in, um, but I would love to see what fashion historians say about it in, like, I don't know, 2075. Yeah. Um, I want to see, like, what the influence COVID had on fashion, especially regarding, like, masks and the popularity of fashion masks and loungewear as we were encouraged to stay at home. But even, like, during the pandemic, that's when the rise of, like, the aesthetics were, like, the cottage core and all yeah. those. Exactly. So I'd love to see how all that changed. And I, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of styles now that like people are pulling from, especially when it comes from like in vintage clothing yeah. and like in vintage styles. I know like we call the 80s vintage now, but I mean, technically 2003 is vintage wear. Yes. Well, because it's anything that is 20 30 years. years or older, right? 20 years. 20 years? Oh. 20 years or older is technically vintage. We're old. We're vintage. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we're not really going to do a fandom news thing because there's so much. And, yeah. But this one thing I wanted to. Long. It, it would be really long if we did it. But the one thing I wanted to mention is there's an upcoming signing happening in downtown Disney in California, and it says on their um, Instagram page, join Ashley Eckstein, actress, entrepreneur, designer, author, and star from the sh- uh, from shows including Star Wars The Clone Wars for a special signing. It will be for the Ewok headband, like Mickey ears that they made. Those are so cute! Yes. And they are on... It, well, this is going to be on Thursday, June 23rd, so the day after this comes out, and it will be at Star Wars Trading Post in downtown Disney from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. As in, like, downtown Disney here? Yes, you. On that Thursday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Oh, I can't. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to me ramble for about an hour and a half. About it's totally fine fashion and clothes and again they don't they don't with me with narnia yeah but at least narnia has a fan base this is just me nerding out for about an hour and a half i feel like fashion history has a fan base very small <laughs> maybe they're all me Sif- wrong how many how, how many viewers does sophia nygaard have a lot. But it's not because she doesn't just do that. She also does the mixing everything videos. True. Those are bomb, too. Yes. She's just a bomb creator. I love her. We love her. We yeah. stand Sophia Nygaard in this house. Wait, can we add her to our list? Yes. Also, I have to tell you about this show that I saw um, on the cooking channel. I think Canada. I almost called it Canada. <laughs> but it's a show it's called time travel for dinner or time traveling for dinner or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that and every week this family their house gets transformed into a different decade starting with the 40s and they have to dress in that decade they have to do their hair makeup and entertainment everything like they're in the decade wow. food especially and it is amazing we're on the 50s that's like week two we just finished it so we're about to start the 60s i'm very excited it's such a good show go watch it also one thing i wanted to mention because we won't be well we'll announce that we're not doing 
episodes for two weeks for vacation in the outro officially. But New York City Center announced their encore season today for 2022 to 2023. And Oliver is one of the musicals. If you couldn't hear what she said through that squeal, she said Oliver is one of the musicals. I love that musical so much. I'm so happy. Yeah. We might get a new cast album. I know. We need one. Because we haven't really gotten a new one since 2012. And I believe Samantha Barks was um, Nancy. Ooh, I do like Samantha Barks. What? I do like her. Samantha Barks. I do too. But like, I can't wait to see who they cast. Emma's very excited to say the least. I am. (laughs) She is. Okay, well, I guess we'll see you guys in the outro. Thanks for thanks for listening to me ramble. And, Happy um, birthday, Gabby. Thanks. That show was fun. Yeah, it was. In the past. It was in the, in future, the future, in the past. Yeah. We're time traveling for podcast. Yes. <laughs> that was adorable. I love you so much. <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of fanfoot's house we are a proud part of the real fans podcast network that's right and if you want to check out more shows on the network you can find them at rf4rm.com for the next two weeks we are going to be taking a bit of a summer vacation but we will have a big surprise when we come back and that's very true so (laughs) remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review or comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pods for the latest updates. Can we do this again? I've messed this up like three or four times already. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatals. We are a proud part of the Real Fans Podcast Network. That's right. And if you want to check out more shows on the network, you can find them at rf4rm.com. For the next two weeks, we are going to be taking a bit of a summer vacation, but we will have a huge surprise for you guys when we come back. That's very true. So enjoy your summer because we're going to enjoy at least two weeks of it. Um, Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for the latest episodes. Now, Emma. Where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter are all at um, Snippy Emma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-A-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Gent on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our editing is by the wonderful Carol Lensmeyer. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Bye! Bye. The music expressed in this episode in the Africa Brand Company,